Lori McCreary went from computer science to co-founding a production company with Morgan Freeman. She's the executive producer of shows like Madam Secretary and The Story of God, which is National Geographic Channel's most watched television series of all time. From film to television to now being the president of the Producers Guild of America. It's no wonder she has incredible advice for storytellers of all kinds on this episode of The Story Podcast. There are things meant for you that are currently beyond your imagination. The only way to become a better storyteller is by telling more stories. Your greatest work may not be seen by millions of people. Keep making anyway. To be a writer, we have to sit down and we have to do the work and we don't get up until it's finished. The only hope we have are the stories we tell. Stories not bound by what is possible. We are proud to be storytellers. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Story Podcast. As always, I'm Harris III, and today I'm joined by Kellen Robison. Hello. <laughs> For those of you who are uh, um, regular listeners, I should I should say, um, you are probably familiar with Kellen's voice. Sammy is in New York City at the moment, I'm sure doing something awesome. Probably either playing with a puppy or eating something really fun. <laughs> I hope so. Because <laughs> those are two of her loves. Uh, but yeah, so Sammy, I hope you're having fun in New York City. But so excited that Kellen could sit down with me today. For those of you who don't know, Kellen, Kellen is like the behind-the-scenes guru of all things story. Um, so she she knows more about what's going on behind the scenes at story than I think almost anyone else. So it's always fun to have her on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> she, she doesn't know what to say to that. She's going to laugh. I know. That, that's how I handle <laughs> awkward situations. I just laugh. <laughs> I'm just bragging on you because, uh, folks, Kellen is single. Oh, no. And there's a bunch here of... <laughs> I'm putting her on the spot here. But I know there's a bunch of really amazing creative guys out there. Um, and she's got amazing personality. And we're about to give out her email address in a second. I was like, can, <laughs> oh, can we give out her email address? Because uh, you're going to need it to send us your stories for this other thing we're about to tell you about. But it just occurred to me they're going to have a way to contact you. And yeah. now they know you're single. Mm, yes, but it's that mysterious is the because they don't know what you look like. Because Google doesn't work. <laughs> Oh, man, we have a great interview for you guys today. This is going to be a shorter episode than usual. Uh, Lori, the person we're interviewing, she was uh, had a very limited amount of time because she was on a film set. We'll tell you more about that in just a second. But let's dig into this special episode. Kellen, Valentine's Day is coming up. It is. And love it or hate it, it's a big thing. It is a big thing. <laughs> and there's always amazing stories that come out of a lot of people's Valentine's Day experiences, whether yes. they're good or bad. Correct. Um, <laughs> and I thought, you know what, let's do another special episode. Christmas, we got a lot of emails. Yeah, everyone loved our Christmas episode where we just shared stories yeah. of some of our favorite memories. It was really interesting. You know, we have access to the stats and how many people listen to each episode, and it's been growing exponentially. So thank you guys for spreading the word about the podcast. Um, however, you know, the the number of people who listen to that episode, it was the number of people was actually lower than some of our other episodes. But the people who did listen to the episode emailed us like crazy mm -hmm. saying, oh my gosh, the special Christmas episode was so good. Yeah, it was the most feedback we've ever gotten from an yeah. episode. Yeah, you guys love some of these episodes, but you don't email us and tell us about it. <laughs> uh, we love those emails, yeah, by the way. Yes, we love them. But for some reason with that special Christmas episode, we got tons of emails saying, oh my gosh, this was amazing. And so we're going to do another one of these. 
coming up this Valentine's Day. So what do we need from what do we need from them? We need some love stories or what you or call missed missed connections. Is that what you call them? Connections. I know you guys know what I'm talking about. Guys, I don't know what she's talking about. <laughs> I have no idea what a missed connection story is. And when when we brought up this idea, Kellen was like we could do some misconnection stories. I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> Maybe it's because I've been married for 12 years and I got married that young. I don't know. What, what is this misconnection thing you speak so of? So it started, this epidemic started on Craigslist where people would start to write in, hey, I saw you in this coffee shop. We made eye contact on Fifth Avenue. And, but they didn't have the courage to say anything, but they felt like they had a special <laughs> moment with them. And so they started putting them on Craigslist and the hopes that, someone would find it. That is hilarious. That so is it, absolutely hysterical. Yes. So it, it just became this big thing, the Craigslist misconnections. The Craigslist misconnections. All right. If you're like me and you never heard this before, you heard it here, folks. You learned it on the story podcast. Regardless of whether you have a missed connection story mm-hmm. or a love story of any kind, maybe it was the way that you proposed to your wife. Maybe it w- maybe you're a female and it was the way your husband proposed to you. Maybe it was a story of a breakup, a Valentine's Day memory that was mm-hmm. special that stood out. Whatever it is, we want to hear those stories, short stories. And uh, if you get in touch with us, we can either read them for you or there might be a way for you to swing by our studio here in Nashville and record them. Or if you have a way to record, we're definitely open to uh, recording you telling your own story. And so we're going to do another special Valentine's Day episode. That's going to be really awesome. That's coming up. How do they get us these stories? They can email me. If they have a story or if they're single, they can email Kellen. <laughs> oh, no. At? Um, it's Kellen, K-E-L-L-Y-N, at Istoria, I-S-T-O-R-I-A.com. Kellen at Istoria.com. That is the, the company that produces Story Conference. Again, it's Kellen, K-E-L-L-Y-N, at Astoria, I-S-T-O-R-I-A.com. Yes. I can't wait to read them. So please, <laughs> please bring them my Send way. Send us your stories. We will review. We will pick some of our favorites and produce it into a cool podcast with some great music. It'll be fun. We're going to tell your stories. All right. This episode, uh, we sat down and had an interview with Lori McCreary, and she's kind of a big deal. Yes. <laughs> her list of accolades is amazing. Yeah. So the reason her time was so limited is because she was on set filming Madam Secretary. No the big re- deal. She, the reason she was on set filming Madam Secretary is because she's an executive producer of that TV show. Um, she's produced other movies like uh, Invictus. She is the president of the Producers Guild of America. Again, Crazy. kind of a big deal. Um, but here's my favorite part. She's a co-founder of the production company Revelations Entertainment with who? Morgan Freeman. <laughs> Morgan Freeman. So Lori and Morgan Freeman have a production company together, um, and they are cor- currently doing The Story of God with Morgan Freeman. So it's an amazing show. We got a chance to sit down and chat about that a little bit. Uh, if you haven't seen Story of God, a lot of other people have seen it. So you are now in the minority. It is officially the most watched television show of all time on Nat Geo. Like National Geographic produces some crazy amazing yeah. content and it's the most show, most watched show of all time so check it out story of god um here is my interview over uh, the best internet connection we could find so we recorded this phone call with Lori mccreary enjoy hi Lori. Hello, Harris. How are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm quite well. My voice is a little uh, 
like half an octave lower than normal. I'm just getting over whatever that thing is that everyone is passing around. <laughs> it's been going around in Nashville too. I'm the uh, same thing. My ears are a little stocked up today. I've had something. I don't know if we have the same thing, but yeah, there's always something going around this time of year. Yeah, exactly. Well, I'm excited to talk to you. So thanks for taking the time. No problem. Let's uh, let, let's start. Give me the brief overview of Story of God and kind of why you guys started out to try to tell some of these stories. Well, um, the the story of the birth of the story of God started about eight or nine years ago in Istanbul, Turkey. Um, Morgan Freeman and I were there. I think we were scouting another show. I can't even actually remember now what we were doing, but we went into the Hagia Sophia, which um, is a museum now, but was originally a church and became a mosque. And we were, I was looking at these beautiful mosaics up on the ceilings. And to me, it looked like there was a story of kind of the, um, the nativity scene. And then there were like apostles and someone who I would recognize as Jesus. And then the crucifixion. And I asked the docent who was with us, who um, was a Muslim man, if they, those mosaics had been covered over when it was, um, a mosque, and he said, well, no, no, it wasn't, because, you know, we believe, our tradition is that we believe um, Jesus was a prophet, and I looked at Morgan, because I feel, I thought at the time that I was fairly educated, but I didn't actually know that um, the stories of Jesus were included in the tradition of Islam, and Morgan and I started the conversation way back then about, wow, if we don't know this, I wonder if there are other people around the world that don't know that, you know, we all kind of stem from from similar storytelling traditions. And then over the years, we decided, oh, it was getting closer and closer to the time where the story needed to be told. Wow. And it's um, amazingly, it's one of the most watched shows in Nat Geo's history. Is that accurate? Yeah. Yeah, we were surprised about that because I... I don't know if you know the term traveling, but, you know, we were told that God doesn't really travel, meaning you can't get, you know, foreign financing for God. So um, <laughs> from many of the outlets told us that. And um, I'm, I'm also told oftentimes that Morgan Freeman doesn't travel well or that, you know, African-American men in general don't travel well, but Morgan is the exception. So I figured if there was an exception for Morgan, maybe there'd be an exception for our version of the story of God. That's amazing. So what is it about the story of God that you feel like is resonating so deeply? I think, well, if you're living today and you're watching any kind of news programming, you're inundated with a lot of stories about how different we are, a lot of sound bites about how different we are. And it's, we're really, I think, um, being inundated with these messages that we're different, we're different, we're, you know, those are the other and we're different. And, one of the things we wanted to do was set out on a journey to discover where our connectedness was and how what we believe could connect us. And and I think that, especially for this generation, it's one of the biggest questions of our time. Um, and and so we thought that today, especially today, last year, was a really important time to get these stories out. Yeah. <clears throat> let's, let's rewind a little bit and kind of go back to closer to the beginning of your story. Um, where did you grow up? I grew up in Northern California, Antioch, California, little, tiny, blue-collar factory town. Okay. And you end up at UCLA <laughs> studying computer science? Yeah, sure. I mean, I 
when I was eight, my parents put uh, me and my brother and sister into theater because she was an actress and really needed to kind of, you know, be a storyteller from the stage. So we were all in theater from eight years old. So by the time I got to UCLA, I'd had, you know, eight or nine years of six shows a year under my belt. And I think that's when I was really young is where I really learned the power of the spoken word and storytelling, you know, either from a stage or out in the middle of a park. I had a Christian theater company when I was 14 where we would go out and like put on plays about stories from the Bible. (laughs) And uh, I just really saw how, you know, you could really change an audience when they came in and they were transformed at the end of a simple story. Yeah. Is, is there a story that someone told you or that you personally experienced that, that you have a memory of from your childhood that, that you feel like kind of called you towards the idea of storytelling yourself? I think it was, I grew up, you know, we, our vacation was going out camping mm-hmm. and the most vivid reminder when I think about the thing that I think about most when I think about camping is literally sitting around the campfire with marshmallows and somebody saying all right whose turn is it and someone would have to like come up with a story and whether it was a real story or a made-up story and you know we were all just standing around or sitting around with you know sometimes our jaws open but mostly I, I suppose because we were kids was the one time when we'd be quiet and we would listen and our attention was just focused on this one person talking. <laughs> yeah. That, you know, I think when, when both of us were kids, like we weren't distracted by our iPhones, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> there was something magical about just sitting around a campfire. And ironically, I think that's probably the way stories have been told for thousands of years, you know, and here we are in 2017 <laughs> and all of us, you know, whether we are intentionally trying to do it or not, I think a lot of people, um, even sometimes by accident, they find themselves in that magical experience of sitting around a campfire telling stories, and it it captivates all of humanity. There's just something special about it. Uh, so you, absolutely, yeah. So you end up. It help me understand computer science. There's got to be some sort of story there. Uh, sure. So I uh, because I grew up doing theater. That was kind of my whole life <laughs> as a young. I was a youngster. I um, was in um, 11th grade and I was putting, we had a government grant to build a theater in our little small town. And so we had a pretty um, big computerized lighting system and sound system. And I was the lighting designer and technical director at the time of the theater. And um, when I designed this really big musical and, you know, as a lighting designer, when you had to work the board manually, you were really clear about how many fingers and hands you had to move the dimmers. On a computer, you could do anything. So I had like a five-minute sunrise built in. And opening night of the show, the computer literally wouldn't turn on. And I couldn't figure out how to run the show, so I had to write manually. And it was problematic. And, you know, that was when I was talking about where am I going to go to college, what am I going to study. I literally didn't want to study theater because I'd been doing it. You know, it felt like at the time my whole life. And um, and so I decided, well, if I'm going to be what I thought I wanted to do when I grew up back when I was 14 was own my own theater. Um, you know, put up plays and musicals. So I studied, I went to UCLA to study computer science with the eye that towards having my own theater. That's incredible. So so did you continue to tell stories while... 
Yeah, and they told me I could build my own major between computer science and whatever else I wanted to do. So I, I basically wrote this proposal, which I wish I could find, that basically said that um, you know storytelling and technology was going to converge, and I wanted to do um, a major that um, went from the College of Fine Arts to the School of Engineering, which was where computer science was. And um, and they wouldn't let me do it because it was quote quote unquote quote unquote kind of out there and too cross discipline. That's, inc- that's so, incredible. I ended up getting a computer science degree. Yeah, I mean it's funny you you know you you kind of just read that in a bio or you hear that from someone. It's like oh no, she graduated from UCLA with computer science. And I think without the backstory, yeah. sometimes you're wondering what is yeah. I don't understand what's the connection between storytelling and computer science. Um, but you know, the, the older I get and the more that I sit down and talk with other people in different industries, the more I realize that storytelling is in and through everything. Uh, it doesn't necessarily yeah, I think mean you're right. the arts, right? Yeah, for sure. And even in computer science, I mean, you know, if you're a programmer like I was, you basically come up with an idea for an app, something that someone's going to use or experience, and then you have to figure out how to bring it to life and make it easy to understand and have people follow it. So very similar from a programming point of view, the skill set to be a producer in my experience. Yeah. Actually, to focus on that for a second, you said the skill set to be a producer. I love asking producers this question because I think a lot of times they, I don't want to say they get a bad rap, but I think sometimes they're un- <laughs> yeah, they're unappreciated. They're, they're sometimes like, oh, they're just the people who shake the hands and negotiate the deal and get all the paperwork taken care of. I think sometimes producers right. aren't appreciated for the storytellers that they are. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, uh, you know, there's 7,000 producers in the Producers Guild of America. It's a huge organization. And um, uh, I, I see producers as visionaries. They're often the spark of the inspiration for the idea for whatever is coming out, whether it's short-form content online or whether it's a big, you know, um, Kent Cole movie. And, um, and you're the, you're the captain of the ship. You have to bring all these people on board and keep that vision going. Um, and if you're a great producer, you bring people on who help you get there faster. And, um, and, you know, it's a partly a people skills, partly business skills, partly, um, being a visionary that gathers people around and keeps them on track. And I mean, the skill set is, is pretty vast and wide in terms of what you need to be a producer. <clears throat> so you're president of the producers guild as, as someone who's probably looking at a lot of younger producers in Hollywood or in other cities that are trying to make it as a producer. What do you, what do you consistently see as some of their greatest challenges that they're trying to work through? I think that, um, that sometimes they don't start with the right, um, they don't start on the right path. They think it's something different. My, what I tell people who ask me, you know, what should I do? I want to be a producer or I am a producer and how do I make it? I say, find a story that you, when you wake up in the morning, you're thinking about it. And when you go to bed at night, you're thinking about it, that you've got to get out and you start there because there's, it's got to be that spark that gets you up in the morning every day because producing is not easy. One of the things we have at our company, when we talk about bringing on a project, we think about whether we'd be willing to work on the project for seven years, even if it didn't get made. And further, even if it gets made after seven years, if it's not going to bring a lot of income in, is there something inherent in the story or in the people around the story that will be worth the time that you spend? 
investing in that? And we have to answer yes to both of those questions um, in order to take it on. And so I think as um, if you feel really passionate about some story that's close to you or you just feel needs to get out there, that's, the, for me, the best place to start as a producer. Yeah. Is there a story that you can think of, and you don't necessarily have to name any names, but maybe just a story of a producer that you saw starting out and they had some sort of aha moment that opened up opportunity for them or changed their approach and, you know, increased their success as a producer? Oh, moment. Well, I mean, I often think back to my first movie and I, the good news about me is I came from, a, you know, the computer science industry, so I didn't really know anyone in the business. Mm-hmm. So I was really bold. I would just pick up the phone and say, hi, I'm Lauren McCreary, and <laughs> I'm doing the movie. I'm doing this movie about South Africa. And, um, and I think that one thing I learned looking back at my old self is, wow, it, I, I'm kind of a rule follower, but I wasn't a rule follower then. I didn't know I wasn't. But it's a good thing to remember, which is this is, this is a people business. This is a relationship business. And if, you're, if you have great relationship skills, um, you know, use them to your benefit. Because I think sometimes even today, I spend too much time thinking about should I really call that really big producer, actor, director? Are they really going to take my call? And you know, I have so much more credentials now than I did back then. And so I would say just go for it because the worst thing that can happen is an assistant's not going to put you through. The best thing that can happen is you accidentally get the person you're trying to talk to, and you're so great at pitching your idea that they, you know, take a meeting. Yeah. Is there a time in that season that you just wanted to quit? Well, that's, that's the whole seven years, seven years from the time I optioned my first movie till we were on set, seven years. And, and I was making really good money as a programmer at the time. Um, and I, you know, when my dad would call me to say, hey, are you going to go work for Apple now? Are you still working? What, how many years has it been? Have you been working on that? What's that project called? What is it? You know, I mean, so many. And it gets, it's hard as a producer to have to answer to people who don't understand our business. Yes, it's been 15 years. I'm still working on this project. I mean, we have projects, two projects on our slate that we've been working on since 1996. So that's 20 years. Wow. Um, it's, 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 uh, so what I learned is to talk details with people who understand the details and to my parents, for instance, who didn't know back then, it was much easier just to talk about what was happening as opposed to what I was working on. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. It, seven years is a long time. Every time I hear you say that, I just keep thinking, gosh, that's a long time. It, it really is a great test, I think, and it really shows mm-hmm. you just how much you believe in that story. Um, yeah. And, you yeah. Know, I would imagine yeah. seven years felt like a long time for you in 1996. Mm-hmm. I, like, I can't imagine what it feels like for, you know, a millennial storyteller in 2017 who's, who lives in a world right. surrounded by right. instantaneous everything, right? Sure, sure. Yeah. <clears throat> so. Sure. I mean, the good news is, hey, they ha- there's a lot more tools, like, Back then, I didn't have a chance to do a short piece on, you know, one scene of the film mm-hmm. and put it up and show people. I didn't, we didn't have those tools. It took, you know, you had to get a film camera. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I feel like there's, you know, so many more tools now to, to actually help convey the vision you have for your project that, um, 
you know, that would have been great for me 20 years ago, 25 years ago. Yeah. I mean, so the, so the challenge now is, you know, everybody's a producer, right? Like they may not all be in the, they're not all in the guild, but you know, there's thousands and thousands and thousands of them out there and everybody can at least has the chance to pitch their idea, even if it's not to the right person yet, because they can post it to YouTube and try to get it out there. And, um, yeah, what, so now that everyone has access to the tools, I can hear you giving them advice saying, Hey, you have access to more tools than I ever had. You just go out there and tell stories. Um, what, what, what advice do you give them if they're in that very large pool? Well, if they do have a story, the best way to kind of work out your story is to call seven of your friends, have them come over for dinner, and see if you can keep their attention for five minutes even, or ten minutes telling them your story. Um, because, you know, rather than even picking up a camera and trying to tell it, like, the first thing is, are you a good storyteller? Can you, you know, can you keep somebody, keep your friend's attention who are want to listen to you? Yeah. Yeah. So help me understand this, this part of your journey. You are... Uh, you're graduating from UCLA, degree in computer science. Somewhere along the way, you're just walking down the street and Morgan Freeman walks by you and you say, hey, you want to start a production company together? <laughs> oh, would that, would that, that happen? No, I was, so what's uh, the story? I started, um, I was a, a you know, really good programmer in college. And um, during, uh, I think it was my junior year, I met somebody who had a, fledgling software company for lawyers, and I joined up with them, and we started a software company called CompuLaw, which was a legal billing for lawyers. Sounds very exciting, right? So I was I was young in college, and we started this company, and we were like number two or three in the country in terms of selling software, and we had a lot of employees, and I was working, you know, going to school during the day and working at night and traveling all over the country teaching lawyers how to bill people more. And I literally, I remember it, like I remember it was sitting at the, it was probably like a, an Apple Lisa at the time programming. Um, it was like 11 o'clock at night. And I remember thinking, what am I doing? I can, I could totally see, like I was vice president of this company. I had stock in the company and all these employees. And I thought, okay, the end of this life is me with a, you know, big software company at 11 o'clock at night sitting in front of a computer terminal. This is not, this was not like what my purpose is. And I thought I got to get out of here. And I went to my partners the next morning and said, I'm leaving. They thought they were horrified. And then they thought it was kind of cute. And I thought I was going to go, you know, back into theater at the time I wanted to go into theater. And a friend of mine was a lawyer and we found a play, a learner and low musical, and we were going to go make that. So we were in London trying to close the rights and one of them died. Sorry, this is the long version. But one of them passed away. The project went into probate. So I just ended up going and seeing like two weeks of theater, two shows a day or one or two shows a day. One of the shows we saw was this play called Bopa, which was an anti-apartheid play written by Percy Matois, South African. And um, it was an entirely white audience. And at the end of this play, the whole audience, like a very kind of reserved English audience, was on their feet chanting Bofa, which was the freedom cry in South Africa. Um, and, and we were looking at each other and I was like, more people should see this. Like maybe if people saw this, this was my night of tea. Apartheid would end. So he was like, have you done a movie? I was like, no, have you? We are both theater people. So we literally came back. 
option the rights, which I knew how to do from theater. I found a friend through a friend at church who was a writer. We hired the writers, wrote the, got the script written. And, um, you know, seven years later, we were in South Africa, Morgan directing it, Danny Glover and Alfie Woodard playing the lead. Wow. So then you uh, you just look at Morgan and say, you want to start a production company together? <laughs> no, actually, I was. I, we had made this film and we found ourselves on the same side of, you know, every creative conversation, every financial conversation, I would realize, oh, he thinks, he thinks the same thing I do. And uh, it was a couple of years um, after Boca came out in 93. And we had a project that we were working on together at the time called Bass Reeves, which is, by the way, still on our slate. Um, uh, and I was lamenting whether or not I should go. DreamWorks Interactive was starting, a, you know, they were starting Interactive Division. I was trying to figure out what I was going to do because I was making a pretty good living consulting, but I really wanted to keep doing doing computer consulting, by the way, um, and writing software. But I really wanted to, you know, have a production company. And so I was talking to Morgan about that, and he said, oh, my business manager was just telling me I should start my own production company. Why don't we start one together? And what I said to him was, what would that look like? You know, kind of very matter of factly. And inside I was like, why? <laughs> so, um, so that's basically the genesis of the, yeah. Of the company. I love it. And then, and then here you are today. So mm -hmm. now you're working on story of God and it's on that geo and everybody's loving it. It's resonating deeply and it seems like a really special project. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, we, I'm, I'm very proud of it. And I, I love, even though, you know, I've seen it millions of times, I still love watching pieces of it. Yeah. Do you have a favorite moment? Well, this season, I love the, um, the moment that Morgan meets the um, young boy who um, was named as um, the reincarnation of the Lama, the eighth reincarnation. Oh yeah. That was so fascinating. And, uh, yeah. His parents are immigrants from Tibet and, you know, he's nine years old playing his, you know, computer games and, and studying, you know, I don't know how many different languages at night. Um, you know, he's a reincarnated monk and he's a little boy and fascinating. Yeah. Is there something, is there something about this particular project that has, that you feel like has changed you or a moment being involved in the production that you feel like triggered any sort of epiphanies or realizations? It, you know, inspired me to do more than what I do, and it made me feel better about all of us here on this planet Earth, because oftentimes I, too, get kind of stuck in the news cycle, and I'm just listening to the bad news, and um, to see all these people doing such great work around the planet was um, was very inspiring and heartening. Yeah, I love it. Well, Lori, thanks so much for taking the time today. It's been it's been really cool to talk to you, and I wish we had hours just to sit down and have coffee so I could pick your brain. You've so much experience from, you know, making Oscar-nominated films to amazing TV series and now learning about your your live theater background. Um, gosh, I just wish I could sit down for hours and pick your brain. There's so much to learn. <laughs> but thanks for giving us a little bit of your time while you're on set today. I really appreciate it. Yeah. I appreciate talking to you too, Karen. Thanks so much. Yeah, thank you. Man, 
so bummed she didn't have more time. I could have talked to her for much, much longer. She had some incredible things to say. Yeah. My favorite part was the, I think your favorite part too, we talked about this earlier, just that whole idea of, as a producer, and, and really this applies to anyone, I think, because the role that producers play is so involved in every other facet of making a piece of art. Um, but that idea of how do you know what to work on? How do you know which story to tell? How do you know where to begin? And you pick the story that basically the one that you go to bed thinking about, the one that you wake mm -hmm. up thinking about. Um, and she was talking about how you have to be able to live with that story or work on that story for her. her she was talking about seven years. Yeah, that it could seven take seven years. years in order for anything to happen. And then even if you get it out there into the world, people may not like it. They may not respond to it. So then you're, you're stuck with the story. So you have to love it and be passionate about it. Yeah. I think it's true. I think it's true for story. You know, I wake up in the morning thinking about story. I go to bed at night thinking about story so many times because we put so much effort into it. Uh, and it's again, listening to her talk, it's just confirmation for me that I'm involved in. It's one of the many things I'm involved in, but it's mm -hmm. one of the things that I'm supposed to be involved in just because I can't not think about it. I can't not do it. Right. Um, you know, even Allie Fallon, uh, our speaker at our last local gathering here in Nashville during our Q and a touched on that idea. Um, I think one yeah. of the, actually people will get to hear it cause I think it's a upcoming yeah, episode of the podcast. podcast. Um, but you know, someone asked her, how do I know where to start? And right. she said a similar thing. Her advice was the one that you can't yeah. not do the story that you can't stop thinking mm -hmm. about. Yeah. I think, um, in our work as artists and storytellers, we love ideas and we come up with a lot of them which is awesome, but yeah, we, we kind of struggle with that decision-making, okay? Which one am I supposed to pursue? Where am I supposed to go? So I love that just thought of like, what can you not stop thinking about? Mm -hmm. And upcoming on the next episode of the Story Podcast, Morgan Freeman. I wish. <laughs> <laughs> we're, working we're, it, we're working on it, folks. We're working on it, folks. We had a great conversation with Lori. She was so cool. I had a chance to chat with her uh, before we recorded this episode, and... Um, just an amazing woman. She's doing so much cool stuff and seriously kind and down to earth. Um, and she's online. She's on social media. She's on the internet. She has a big presence. Yes. At Lori McCreary, L-O-R-I-M-C-C-R-E-A-R-Y. Yep. There she is on Twitter. Um, she's a person you should know if you're in filmmaking uh, or producing TV at all. I mean, the fact that she's the president of the Producers Guild of America makes her a good person to know. So Lori, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for taking the time to chat with us and for your kindness. And will you please ask Morgan to come on our podcast? Or just give us a call. <laughs> I just want him to record my, my voicemail greeting on my cell phone. That would be amazing. <laughs> yeah, check out Story of God on Nat Geo, most watched show of all time on National Geographic. Pretty big deal. Thank you guys, as always, for tuning in to the Story Podcast. Come on, thanks for joining me. Absolutely. Thanks for sharing your email address publicly. Oh, no. Can't wait to read those emails. <laughs> we'll see you guys next week. <laughs>